0: All right. Well, Luke twelve. Let's turn to Luke chapter twelve. Who knew Miss Pam could sing like that? I, had, I My goodness, I had. Oh, I know you I, knew. Yeah. Well, she can't hide it anymore. That's right. Luke chapter twelve. We're going to continue uh, with the with this idea of good heavenly parenting this morning. This is part four, um, and uh, I guess the subtitle would be "Are you ready?" So. Before we start, y'all know I want to review, so let's review. Who wrote Luke? Luke? That's right, Luke. Who is Luke? Physician, historian, ministry companion of Paul. Yeah. All right. Who's who's uh, who's he writing the gospel to? Theophilus and the Gentiles. That's right. Who's theophilus? don't know an important person who's referred to as most excellent that's right and what's the purpose of the gospel Hmm? an orderly account that's right so theophilus an orderly account of jesus's ministry but also so that theophilus would know the things that he was being taught were true all right good good questions comments criticisms no all right luke chapter not yet yeah (laughs) luke chapter 12 Um, We're going to cover a lot of verses this morning. All right. We're going to cover a lot of stuff. And I'm not sure if you realize it or not, but uh, there there are different kinds of scripture. There's different kinds of scripture. There's there's some parts of scripture that are really technical, that are really theological, and they require us to do word studies, uh, require us to dig beneath the surface to really get a grasp on what's being said. And... um, the word studies and the digging really are profitable for all of Scripture, but there's some that are absolutely mandatory. And that's kind of what we're looking at today. We see a lot of a, some warnings. We see a couple of parables in our text today. And these parables, they go together. All right. And uh, the meaning is, uh, of our text is best understood if, uh, if we put them together, we look at them together, because they build on each other. And they give us a good overview of what God requires of us. All right. So if you will, let's all stand and so I'll stand to honor the reading of the Holy and Perfect Word of God, Luke 12. If you don't have your Bibles with you, the uh, text is on the screen, Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 35. We're starting in verse, yeah, 35. That's right. Starting in verse 35. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. 35. I'm sorry. Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit and be like men who are waiting for their master and when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master shall find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them reclined at the table and will come up and wait on them whether he comes in uh, in the second watch or even in the third and finds them so blessed are Those slaves. And be sure of this that the heads of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You, too, be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. And Peter said, Lord, are you addressing this parable to us or to everyone else as well? And the Lord said, When then, or who then, is the faithful and sensible steward from his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time? Blessed is the slave whom his master finds doing when he comes, so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all of his possessions, but if that slave says in his heart, My master will be a long time in coming, And begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour when he does not know, and will cut him in pieces, and assign him a place with the unbelievers. And that slave, who knew his master's will and did not get ready, and and did not get ready or act in accord with his will, shall receive many lashes, but the one Who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but few. And from everyone who has been given much shall much be required. And to whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask all the more. Let's pray. Father, God, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for the perfection that we find in it. And Lord, I thank you so much for what you have done for us and Lord, I pray that what you do today is speak to your people. Yeah. Father, I pray that you drag me around back and throw me in the ditch because Jimmy's not needed. Yeah. Lord, I just I pray that you empty me of myself, fill me full of the Spirit, so that every word that come out of me be the words that you would have your people hear. Because no one needs to hear from Jimmy; they need to hear from God. Yeah. And so, Lord, I pray that was what happened amongst us this morning. I ask that you bless this time and you would fill this place with your Holy Spirit so that we may see your glory at work amongst us this morning. It's in the most heavenly, holy, righteous, perfect, and beautiful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So, there's two main purposes of Scripture. Those two main purposes are what man is to believe concerning God, what we are to believe concerning God, and what God requires of us. Those are the two main purposes of Scripture. So here's our first point. We're going to jump right into it. Point number one stay ready for action. Stay ready for action. All right, look at verses 35 to 40. I'll read them again. Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast, so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table, and he will come up and wait on them. Whether he comes in the second watch or even the third and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You too be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you do not expect. So you think there's uh, an, an eschological significance in the text? Would you say there's, there's, there's an eschatological significance to these verses? In other words, these verses refer to the second coming or the end of the world. Yeah, I would say so. Most of the time, that that's the only way these verses are applied. Most of the time, that's the only meaning that's ever given to them. But honestly, we know Jesus is returning, right? We know he's coming back. We don't know if it's today or if it's 100 years from now. But we know that Jesus will return. Amen? We know... That there will be an end. Everything, this world, will come to an end. So, I believe it be it would be a mistake if we just kind of removed the idea of the second coming out of these verses. So, the answer to the question, "Do they have an eschatological significance?" would be, "Yeah, yeah, absolutely." We see the uh, this idea coming out of these verses. The sec this, this text has absolutely to do with Christ's second coming on this side of the cross, even though He was speaking on it, speaking about it on that side of the cross. It has a significance to to us on this side of the cross. But when he was speaking on that side of the cross before he was crucified, it wasn't that obvious to his disciples. Right. It wasn't that obvious to him. And so if that was the only application being made, it really wouldn't have been relevant to them. Right. And that's who he's addressing in the text. Robert McShane. I don't know if you've ever heard of Robert McShane, but uh, he was a uh, he was a. he was an old preacher, uh, a Scottish preacher uh, who lived in the 19th century. But he lived before there was any real dispensational disputes, and um, he was a he was a pastor of pastors. He trained pastors, and uh, he he lived in a time that they didn't talk a lot about Christ's return at that point in time. But one of the questions he would ask these pastors that he ministered to was, "How many of you think the Lord will return today?" How many of you think that he would return today? And he never really got a positive response from all those pastors that he was teaching. So uh, he would then, re- after he would wait for their res- responses and not get that positive response, his he would then uh, respond to them for the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you don't expect, just like our text says. And that's the point of this parable and the next one that we're going to look at. But and he, and he had it right. He did. He had it right. We we should always live. With the expectation that Jesus is coming back today. Mm-hmm. He may not. Likely, he's probably not. But we should live as, we, as though we expect him to. Right. You know, say you had the inside track. For some reason, you are the one person that's got the inside track on when Jesus is coming back. Let me ask you a question. Would that change how you live today? Yeah. Would that change the things that were important to you today? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you would... Uh, you wouldn't be trying to, you, you wouldn't be looking at your watch as me and Buffy preached because you wanted to bust the doors down, getting an Applebee's before everybody else. But you would be the thing that concerns you most would be how many people you could get the gospel to because you knew the Lord was coming back today. Why aren't we living with that expectation every single day? Why are we not acting that way every single day? Because we know he's coming back. And we don't know when. All right? So the point of these two parables we're studying this morning, that's it. And here's another question. Do you think there was significance for those disciples that he was teaching? Do you think this was significant? Obviously, this was significant to him, right? Or he wouldn't have taught it to him. And we'll go back to Pastor McShane. Listen to this. He, he challenged the pastors that he was ministering to about the nearness of Christ's coming, about how close it actually was. And, and But what he didn't know was really how near that coming was going to be for him. He died just two months before his 30th birthday. He was 29 years old. So listen, we can't think of the Lord's return just in terms of him coming back. But we got to think of it in, in, in terms of us going to him. Amen? Amen? All of us are going to have our own end, our own personal end. The second coming is true. It's truth, right? It's the end. It's the end of everything we know. And and we're all going to have that personal end ourselves. And we have no no way of knowing. Just like we don't know when Jesus is coming back, we don't know when our end is coming either. So we've got to live our life just like we would never be ashamed to die. Every day, live our lives like we're not ashamed to die or have the Lord return. That's the warning, right? That's the exhortation in this text. So, so let's, let me give you a little explanation. Verses 35 to 38. The setting here is a wedding feast. And, and the, their traditions were a little bit different than ours, is, than ours are today. A Hebrew wedding could go on for days. Right? Could go on for days. The exact timing of the master's return could, could be anybody's guess. They wouldn't know. Uh, but the servants were always ready. They always stood ready for him to return. They were fully clothed. They were ready for service. Uh, so they were expectant, and uh, they, wouldn't, they would not dare be found unprepared. That's how, it, that's how it worked. So they were ready day and night for the master's return. They would replace the oil in the lamps, they, and, and they were eager to do it. They were awake. They were alert. They weren't tired and grouchy. And guess what? That's how we're supposed to be waiting for our master, eager, Ready. It shouldn't be some lethargic, passive wait. We should be eager for him to return. We should be filled with active service. Our waiting should be filled with active service. should be filled with preparation, continual preparation and, and anticipation. It shouldn't, it shouldn't just be, like I said, lethargic. We shouldn't just, it shouldn't just be something that we know is going to happen, but we're, we're not necessarily excited about it. And if you, I don't know if you noticed the change in the parable but that happens here in the parable, but when the master found the servants ready and working, what did he do? Look at the text. What happens next is, is, is something that would probably never happen in any other circumstance in the world. But look at the text. What happens when the, ma- when the master finds the uh, servants ready and waiting? He dressed himself. That's right. He girded himself and he served them. The same Greek word as the servants, being dressed and waiting. that's the same Greek word. Uh, he dresses or girds himself in servant clothes, and he ministers to those who were supposed to be waiting on him. Isn't that exactly what Jesus did in the upper room? It's exactly what he did. He girded himself with a towel, he washed their feet. Look, this imagery it may, well, it's, it's, the, it's the marriage supper, right? The, the servants become the served. And this, this picture here, this imagery, it absolutely blows my mind. It's, it's a picture of Christ. He's the bridegroom. He's the one that's coming, right? And the, in the church, the saved, we're, we're, we're gathering at His table. And that picture is all over Scripture. Everywhere over Scripture. In the next chapter, Luke 13, it's verse 29. Just make a note. Luke 13, 29. I'll read them to you. We won't have to turn there. And they will come from east and west and from north and south and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. Revelation 19, uh, Revelation nineteen, six through nine says, then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude and like the sound of many waters and like the sound of a mighty uh, peals of thunder saying, hallelujah for the Lord, our God, the almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. The fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who were invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Blessed are those servants who are ready. Blessed are those who are waiting in anticipation and ready for it. If he comes in the second watch, as the text says, which in Roman time, Roman time was 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., or the third watch, which was 2 a.m. to 6 a.m., they are blessed if they're found Ready? All right, look back at verses 39 to 40. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You too be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. So the thief's coming, right? If you know the thief is coming, are you not going to be ready to protect yourself? If you know the thief is coming... And so this picture here of, of, of the thief, who's, it's a picture of a thief, is, is and, and this really is, and, and if you go back and study this, the picture is, is, a, is a thief who would dig underground, all the way under the home, and then come in all covert-like and come into the house and steal all the possessions. And so if you knew the thief is coming, you would be ready. And as I was looking at this this week, it kind of one of the first things that jumped out at me was this. And and, and it kind of surprised me. And I don't know, maybe, maybe it jumped out at you. But Jesus is comparing himself to a thief. Everything we know about a thief in, in, in is typically in a negative connotation, right? And, you know, we, we talk, I mean, thou shall not steal. It's one of the commandments. You know, it's to, we're told not to be thieves. So everything we know about being thieves, about stealing, is, is negative. But obviously, a thief um, here has a different meaning. Look back at verse 33, early in the chapter, sell your possessions and give it to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes nor the moth destroys. Thieves are usually devoted to, usually devoted to destruction and harm. But, but as I studied this week, I, I come to realize that, that thief has other significances. That term thief has other significances. So let's look at a lot of Scripture here. Turn to Peter 2 second, uh, second Peter 3. It's really a theme that gets repeated all over Scripture. Uh, it, it, and when we apply it to Christ with this idea of His sudden and expected coming, we see it everywhere. Second Peter 3, verses 10 to 13. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heaven will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Or 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 the first four verses. Now as to the times and the epochs brethren you have no need of anything to be written for you for you yourselves know full well that the day of the lord will come just like a thief in the night while they were saying peace and safety then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with a child and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day will overtake you like a thief. So y'all seeing this? Y'all seeing this, this, this suddenness, this idea of suddenness is found all through the New Testament. Revelation three. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know what hour, but I will come to you. And one more, uh, Revelation 16, verse 15. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes. So it's best to use Scripture to interpret Scripture, right? We know that, right? So we get this picture that Jesus is trying to relay here. Stay ready. Stay alert. Be ready for action. But before we try to apply all this, because there's some application here, before we try to do that, I want to look real quick at at Peter's question, Peter's analytical question. That's our next point, Peter's analytical question. And then we'll look at Jesus' parable, which connects to this next parable, which connects to this one. And we'll apply them all at the same time. So Peter's analytical question. Verse 41, Peter said, Lord, are you addressing this parable to us or to everyone else as well? So, um, y'all remember what we've told you. One of the keys to understanding Scripture, and especially this portion here, is to know who Jesus is addressing. Right? That's one of the major keys to understanding any of Scripture, but is knowing the audience. But, so let's, let's go back and kind of work our way through this. He starts out in chapter 11 of Luke. He's addressing his own disciples in private. And then he turns to public ministry. He starts teaching in public to the multitudes. And then after that, he goes to the Pharisee's house. And he's in private there. He has his private audience with, audience with some of the religious leaders. And then he leaves there at the beginning of this chapter, at the beginning of chapter 12, uh, he has this pretty big crowd, this pretty massive crowd that's waiting for him. They're waiting to hear from him. But instead, he directs his teaching directly to his disciples. And then there's a man that's waiting, waiting, waiting for an opportunity. He's waiting to interrupt Jesus. And he interrupts him saying, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And that interruption gave Jesus the, the uh, opportunity to address the entire crowd on greed and covetousness. But then he turns away from them and he begins to address the disciples again in verse 22. And uh, that's what we studied last week with this, this, war, uh, this warning on worry. And I'll say, if you, if you weren't here last week, if you didn't hear Buffy's sermon last week, it would be in your best interest. To go back to the podcast, crosswaytipton.org, click on media and listen to it. I promise you it's convicting. It would be in your best interest to go listen to it. But let me say, it's absolutely 100% vital. It's important that we know, we understand who Jesus is talking to. Who is he addressing here? Write this down. I want you to always remember this. A failure to know in scripture who the audience is will cause us to misapply the promises of God to lost people and put the threats of God upon Christians. A failure to know the audience in Scripture will cause us to misapply the promises of God to lost people and put the threats of God upon Christians. And that's what Peter's realizing right here. So he asked Jesus, he said, Are you talking to us right now? Are you speaking to us, the disciples, in front of this crowd? Or or is this intended for the entire crowd? Is this intended for everybody? So that's his analytical, maybe I should have said uh, uh, um, clarifying question. He wanted some clarity there. But that's Peter's analytical question. Here's our next point. Point three, Jesus' application to mature, to the mature and immature. Jesus' application to the mature and immature. Verses 42 to 48. And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and sensible steward? whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time blessed is the slave whom his master finds doing so doing when he comes truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions but if that slave says in his heart My master will be a long time in coming, and begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour that he does not know, and will cut him to pieces, and assign him a place with unbelievers. And that slave who knew his master's will, and did not get ready or act in accord with his will, will receive many lashes." But the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but few. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And to whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask all the more. So Peter asked this question, who are you talking to, Lord? you talking to us, you're talking to, to the entire crowd. But look, Jesus, you notice Jesus doesn't give him a direct answer. He didn't say this is for you, not the crowd, or this is for everybody. He doesn't say that. He addresses this to who? The servants. So many lost people in the crowd right there. There are many lost people in that crowd just like today, and they saw themselves as servants of God. How many lost people in our church, churches today see themselves as servants of God? They don't realize they're really lost. The Pharisees thought of that of themselves, right? They thought themselves to be servants of God. Many of the Jews did, but only Christ's disciples saw themselves as what? Servants of Jesus, servants of Christ. That's a, there's a big difference there. Are you serving a servant of God or serving a servant of Christ? You know, this side of the cross, there's not much difference. In this time, there was a difference. So this parable is a, is a blessing for those who believe in God, but also faithfully serve Jesus. They serve God through Jesus. It's a warning for those who think they're just God's servants, but they're, but they're actually too lazy or too blind to do what God would have them do. So we see two things here, and, and I want to break this apart, and I want to discuss both of them. Two things here. The first one is a blessed promise for faithful servants, and then the second one is a severe warning to wicked servants. 42 to 44 says, And the Lord said, when. Who then is the faithful and sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. So that's a promise to faithful disciples. All right. In that day, um, what would happen in that time was some landlords, they would put servants in charge. Uh, of running his affairs. A landlord would put a servant in charge of, run of his, uh, running his affairs. Now, that man was still a slave, but he was like the head of slaves. Right? He had authority over the other slaves. It's kind of like, uh, if you think back, it's kind of like it's the same role that Joseph had in a situation working for Pharaoh. Right? He went from being a slave to a, man who was, uh, to a man who was kind of in charge, but he was still a servant to Pharaoh. Right, But he was an authority over all the Egyptians. All right, in verses 45 to 47, this is, this is the warning. This is the, the, the clear and, and direct warning to the Pharisees and the other religious leaders at that time who saw Jesus, but they refused to point people to him. It says, But if the slave says in his heart, My master will be a long time in coming, and begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that slave will come on a day that he does not expect and in an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. And that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will will receive many lashes. So they they weren't waiting or, or they weren't gonna wait to, to or they weren't gonna have to wait for a second coming here to get the judgment. They they didn't have to wait on that. God judged the nation of Israel when? In eighty seventy, right? For their rejection, he judged the nation of Israel in AD 70, and he judged them individually at their deaths just like he will all of us, unless they were repented and believed in Jesus before they died, just like Paul did, right? Where Paul Paul was in the same boat with these people, right? He was walking around killing Christians, persecuting Christians, but he repented and he believed. And that, that, that principle is still true today. That principle is still the same for us today. The, and and here's, here's the deal. The hottest places in hell... We believe that there's various levels of hell, right? The hottest places in hell are reserved for the religious leaders who lead people away from the Lord. They're false teachers. They're reserved for false teachers. Talk about thieves, right? John 10.10 says what? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You know the context of that statement? He's talking about false teachers. That's what he's talking about. Look at verse 48. But the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but few from everyone who has been given much, much will be required. But and to whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask all the more. So according to this, what is it saying? Ignorance isn't an excuse. Can't say, God, I didn't know. Maybe a reason. Right. It may even be an explanation. But sins committed in ignorance are still sins. Right? They deserve a little bit less punishment than willful sins, but they're still punished. They're still punished. All right, here's our last points conclusion. We'll wrap this up. <clears throat> Let's try to connect it all together. Alright. A couple of things. Number one, what did we what do we realize about this text? The Lord's coming. He will return, right? the time secrets we don't know if he's coming today or we don't know if he's coming in a hundred years or in, or even in our lifetime but the fact is the world that we see today will not continue like it is not gonna happen and, and just like there was an immediate beginning to this world that's how the second coming is gonna be just like there was an immediate beginning to the world his return is gonna be just as instant just as immediate You'd be outside cutting the grass later today, and boom, he split the sky right open. And I pray that happens today. I do. But look, God spoke, and everything in the universe came to be, came into existence, right? So that, that's, that's how instant, instantaneous this, this grand finale is going to be, and it's going to catch every one of us by surprise. All right, number two, we stay ready by going about the normal Christian life. Now, don't get confused when I say normal Christian life. Because I'm going to be honest, the normal Christian life, some of us know, ain't the normal Christian life Jesus would have us to live. But if we're doing what we should, we don't have to change anything. If we're doing what we should, you ain't got to sell your house because you know he's coming back. You don't have to quit your job because you think you know he's coming back. You don't have to do anything different, right? You just live your life as a believer. You live your life as a believer to the glory of God. And don't get caught up in when His return is going to be. Just live your life knowing that if it happens in an hour, guess what? You're ready. You're ready. Like I said earlier, if you get some inside knowledge that Jesus is coming today, your life shouldn't need to change. Even though every one of us can admit that if we knew Jesus was coming back today, we would, we would burn the street up trying to get to those family members who were lost. Why are we doing it anyway? Because we know He's returning. We don't know when He's returning we ought to be doing that now. We neglect we neglect people. We neglect those in our families. We should we should be that that's the normal Christian life. That's the normal Christian walk that we should be having. All right, number 3. We have to remember when we do neglect our duties as Christians, it's serious. It's serious. We know we know a true believer can't lose their salvation, right? It's serious, but we know they can't lose their salvation. But we also need to remember that not, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. So one mark of a false believer is somebody who can, um, who can fall into a, to a period of backsliding and have absolutely no remorse or conviction about it. No, no, no movement of the Holy Spirit towards repentance. We've got to have a passion for reaching those people just like we do the lost. We know the lost need to be reached, but guess what? The backslidden Christian who thinks he's a Christian. And those are the hardest people to reach. They, they, you know, we neglect false believers. Why? Because we're scared to approach them. We are. You know, how they react, because they think they're believers, how are they going to react when we tell them, hey, I got, I got some red flags. I look at your life and I got some red flags. There's no fruit. or the fruit that I do see is isn't righteous fruit. But look, I'm not sure that's how, how you handle it. I'm not sure you just automatically go up to somebody and say, hey, you lost. <laughs> like we all know Vicky's lost, but none of us have told her. But she is. Look, no, I don't, that's not how you handle it. How you handle it is you build a relationship. You spend time with them. You get to know them. You, you, you build that relationship where you love them, they love you, and guess what? Then you tell them at the right time, by the direction of the Holy Spirit, you tell them at the right time, and it's going to be received. You tell them in love, and it's going to be received. All right, here's the fourth thing. The more we know, the more that's going to be required of us. So all you young people in here, let me, let, let me, let me speak to y'all. You hear the Word of God, weak after week, after week, after week, after week, right? You hear it, you're you're taught here at church. A lot of you are taught at home by your families. You hear the Word of God week after week after week. Do you believe the Word of God? Do you believe it? Are you looking to God for salvation? Are you trusting your entire life to Him? Look, you may not realize it, but you're carrying a heavy burden. Not just young people, but all of us, but, but especially you young people. You're carrying a heavy burden. You've heard it a lot. You've heard the Word of God. And, and many young people, even though they've heard it a lot, absolutely know nothing, know nothing practically about Jesus, God, or the Bible. You've been taught it, and guess what? God expects something from you. He expects more from you. If you refuse to believe in Christ, what is that? That's sin. It's willful rebellion. That's willful rebellion. You don't have an excuse. You can't, get, you can't say, God, I didn't know. Because you've heard the gospel and you've heard it week after week after week. Guess what? You're under more condemnation than if you hadn't heard it at all. You can argue. You know, you can say, well, well, you know what? I'm a good kid. I'm a good person. I'm better than all the kids I go to school with. Right? But how much do they know? How much are they being taught? How much truth have they been exposed to? And how much do you know? And how much have you been exposed to? What's the text say to, 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 to whom much is given, much will be required? And, and in, look, it's a great blessing to know much, but it's a terrible thing to know much and refuse to act on it. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, God, we love you. And Lord, I'm just so thankful for your word. I know I say it every week, but Lord, the word is what you left us with. The word is how we know you, how we get intimate with you. And so, God, I'm thankful for it. I, I I just praise you now that you have preserved it for us. Two thousand years later in the New Testament, four six thousand years in the Old Testament, God, you have preserved your Word so that we may know you, that we may grow close to you, that we may know your will for our lives. God, I thank you for that. I praise you for that. And Lord, right now I'm asking you through the power of the Holy Spirit that there be any amongst us in this room right now that are without your Son Jesus, Lord, that you with the Holy Spirit would convict their hearts would open their minds, their eyes, their ears to hear the message of the gospel, and Lord, you would draw them to repentance. I pray that happen amongst us today. God, I pray that we see your glory at work in front of us. We ask you all this now in the name that stands above every name, the only name under heaven by which man must be saved, the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 All right, so... If I was to go sit down right now, I believe I would have failed you today. If I was to sit down right now, I would have failed you and ultimately I would have failed God. Because I still have to share with you the most important thing I can share with you. I've not shared with you today the most important thing that you've come here to hear. The first thing that you need to know about the truth of Jesus is this. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. That's it. Everything starts at that point, guys. Everything starts. If you get that wrong, then everything that comes after that is going to be wrong. And so because God created everything, including us, he's got the right to tell us how to live. Right? He has the right to tell us how to live. So you, it's imperative. You must understand that. You've got to understand that. If there's any hope for you to ever understand the gospel, if there's any hope for you to ever understand the good news and the truth about Jesus, you've got to understand that. When God created the, the, Adam and Eve, when he created the first humans, his intention was for them to live in obedience to him. His intention was for them to live obeying him and live in fellowship with him. But what do they do? They disobey they disobeyed they ate they ate the fair fruit he told them not to and at that point that was sin right and at that point that they sinned their fellowship with god was broken because they rebelled against him they rebelled against god so their that fellowship that they had with god prior to that point it was broken because they denied his authority over their lives remember he because he created you he has the right to tell you how to live and they denied his authority over their lives And look, y'all, it's not just Adam and Eve who's guilty of that sin. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None is righteous. No, not one. But here's what we do. We, We tend to think about sin or our sin, our personal sin, we tend to think about it as simple, kind of like a speeding ticket, right? Well, we didn't commit murder. All I got is a speeding ticket, so it's not that bad. It's against the law, but it's not that bad, right? That's how we think. And then we wonder why God would be upset with us to begin with. Because what we've done is not as bad as what these other guys that I know have done. But guess what? Every bit of it is sin. Every bit of it is rejection of God. It doesn't matter what you've done, right? You've got to understand that sin is just more than levels. It's more than just, well, there's some that are worse than others. All of it is rejection of God himself. When you understand your sin in that light, you'll start to understand why the wages of sin is death. Right. And it's not just physical death, not just physical death. It's it's spiritual death. And what's spiritual death? It's a forceful separation of ourselves from the presence of God forever. A forceful separation of ourselves from the presence of God. So the Bible teaches that, that the final destiny, the final place for unbelieving, unrepentant sinners is eternal judgment and hell. Scripture says it's appointed for man to die once and then come to judgment. So that means that every one of us in this room, every single person, nobody is going to be able to skip. Nobody's going to be able to miss this day. Every one of us is going to be held accountable to God. Everybody. But here's my favorite part. Even though we rebelled against God, even though we've shaken our fist at Him, even though we've cursed Him, even though we've ignored, ignored Him, guess what? Guess what? Even though we've done every bit of that, He still made a way for us to stand right before Him. That's right. He still made a way. When Jesus started His public ministry, what were the first words out of His mouth? The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The first words in Jesus' ministry out of his mouth. And, and, and a hundred, hundreds of years before that, what did God promise? He promised that he would, he would come as a king. He would come to rescue his people from their sins. And here's J- Jesus saying, the kingdom of God is here. It's at hand. Here it is right now. And so eventually all the ones that followed Jesus realized that, that, that his purpose was to bring sinful people into the kingdom. He came to die in their place. That's that's what he came for. He came to take the punishment they deserved for their rebellion against God, for our willful rebellion against God. And so Jesus died on the cross, right? The full weight of our sin was put on him, was put on his shoulders. He died for you, for me, for every one of us, for everyone that would ever believe. So, So he took our punishment. He took our record and gave us his clean, perfect record, Right? And three days later, he was, after he was crucified, he was put in a tomb. He rose from the dead. And his rising from the grave was, was God's way of saying what Jesus claimed about who he was and what he came to do is true. It's true. So what does God expect us to do with that information? What does he expect from us? He expects us... no. Let me say it a different way. He commands us because the, the, the scripture says or the, how the scripture is written is it's a command. He commands us to respond in repentance and faith. He, the, to repent of our sin means what? It means to turn away from all of that rebellion. All of that willful rebellion against God. But what repentance doesn't mean is that, is that we're going to have immediate an immediate end to our sinning. Just because we repent doesn't mean we're going to stop sinning. But what it does mean is that we'll never again, for the rest of our lives, live at peace with our sin. We'll never be at peace with it. We'll hate it from, that moment, from the moment he saves us. So, so it also means that, that we turn to God in faith. So what's faith? Faith is, is it's simple answer, faith is reliance. Right. It's reliance. Scripture says God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in an order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. So, so listen, if God's ever going to count us right before him, if anybody is ever going to stand right before God, he has to do it on the basis of someone else's record. Someone who's qualified to stand as a substitute. And that's what happens when a person's saved by Christ. That's what happens when somebody is saved. all our sins are credited to Jesus who took our punishment, hanging on a tree, every bit of it, that we deserve was placed on him and his spotless record was given to us. That's what happens when you're saved. That's what faith means, to rely on Jesus, to trust in him alone to stand in our place. So what's your response to that? Because what I just told you, everybody in this room is going to respond to. You are. Everybody in this room, you're either going to respond by rejecting it or you're going to respond by accepting Him. So will you respond today in repentance and faith or will you walk out these doors again rejecting the gospel? I pray God's opened your, your, your eyes and ears. I pray somebody here, God, has opened your eyes and your ears. So as we start this time of invitation, Mr. David, um, I'm asking all of you to respond, to respond now. Let us, you know, if, if God has come into your life today, if you feel like the Lord drawing you, Let's rejoice in that, right? Let's rejoice in that. Let's celebrate the goodness of God. If he showed you this morning who you are and who he is and he's opened your eyes, uh, you know, let's all rejoice like the angels in heaven are rejoicing over it, one saved soul. So if you feel God speaking to you during this time of invitation, let, respond, all right? Let's, let's have a conversation about salvation. Let's talk about it, all right? Uh, maybe you feel like you've been visiting with us. You feel like the Lord's been talking to you about joining Crossway, joining our family here. Let's have a conversation about that. Let's talk about that and, and start the process of church membership. Or maybe some of you here are saved. Or you believe that you're saved. You believe that, uh, that God has saved you at some point in your life, but you've never fallen through or fo- uh, followed through with believer's baptism. We can talk about that. Uh, if you want to come to the altar and pray, you know, whatever, however the Holy Spirit's leading you. During this time of invitation, I ask you to respond, if you'll all stand.